For the last few weeks, we've been on a journey that took Jesus six months, in fact, from Luke, the ninth chapter, until Luke 22, when he finds himself approaching the cross. There's this little verse that we, we kind of keyed off of in Luke, the ninth chapter, in verse 21, where it simply says, and Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. And Luke is indicating in the slightest of ways that in this text, there's a shift in the ministry of Jesus. Pre-Luke 9, there's, Jesus was doing a lot of ministry. He was caring for a lot of people. He was doing a lot of solid and powerful teaching. But Luke 9 and forward, Jesus is beginning to prepare the followers, the disciples, the, the group of 12 and the bigger extended group that were around that group to take on the ministry after he left. And so it's, it's, a, it's really a, a very kind of appreciable shift in, in how Jesus does things. And Jesus is beginning kind of a meandering, if you will, journey from the Galilee region, which is up north in the Promised Land. He's heading south by the slowest of paths um, to land and to end up in Judea around Jerusalem in time uh, for, for, the, uh, for the Passover feast. And we know that that Passover feast, what it meant for Jesus was not just another celebration of God's forgiveness and freedom for his people from the bondage in Egypt. We know that what it really means was, well, it, it meant the cross. And, and the things that Jesus did in that, in that period of time were really important. And last week we took a look at, at a question that someone asked him, Jesus, what do we do to inherit eternal life? And you remember that Jesus answers that question by asking another question, right? He says to the guy, well, what would you say you're supposed to do? You're a lawyer, you're a teacher, what do you think? And, and the guy knew the right answer. He pretty much said, love God and love others. And uh, Jesus said, you answered perfect. That's a great answer. Do this and you will live. But the guy was looking for more and he was kind of trying to, he was kind of trying to prove that my question's a little bit more difficult than you made it look, Jesus, which I love that about Jesus. Jesus takes complicated, difficult things and he just simplifies them. Here, there's a simple answer, right? And, and so, and so he, the guy said, well, who's my neighbor then, Jesus? Give me something right here. And so Jesus said, let me tell you a story, a story that we know as a, as a parable of the Good Samaritan. And then Jesus asked the third question that's asked in that text. He said, now, who is the more neighborly to the man who was in need? And of course, the man answered back and he said, well, <laughs> it's the guy who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, then you go and do likewise. Jesus this week is addressed with another, another question. And Jesus, in similar way, answers what would seem to be a very difficult question with a rather simple answer. And I'll be honest, as I was looking through, trying to, trying to figure out where I wanted to go in this sermon series, I, I came across this, and for a moment, I said, you know what, I, I don't know that we're going to jump on this one, this particular text, because there's so many other good texts in between here. And this is a subject that we talk about a lot, but then I realized that we may talk about it a lot, and it may not be a complicated subject, but the subject of prayer is something that we are simply, or at least I'm not, and I think most of us are just not good at. We're, we're not solid in prayer. And, and it's, it's understandable because even Jesus' apostles, I mean, nowhere in the Gospels does it say that Jesus' apostles were great men of prayer. <laughs> we don't see that until after, after the cross and after the launch of the church. And then we begin to see a lot more of that begin to build in them. It's something that naturally as human beings we struggle with, but it's something that no matter how many times Scripture presents us an opportunity to look at it, I think it's important for us to take a look because there's something there that we can get from it. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at Luke, the 11th chapter. If you have your Bibles, uh, grab those. Luke 11 chapter. We're going to start off in verse number one. And it, it begins like this. It says, now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. 
And this is common with Jesus, right? Jesus prioritized prayer. It was something that he did. And if I could just ask you kind of a thought question this morning as we're setting up this lesson, do you prioritize prayer? Is prayer an everyday kind of thing for you? Because we all have priorities, right? For instance, um, um, this past week it was cold. Um, how many of you prioritized being warm in this past week right here? It's important for me. I'm just saying, I know you say, Jason, you grew up north and you lived in Minnesota. Yes, yes, I have. I, I got to tell a story. Bob always likes to share this story about, uh, about when he was a kid uh, that he walked to church in 50 below. All right, you guys have probably heard this story. If you've heard Bob's stories, now he walked to church when it's 50 below. There's some things you should know. One thing is, is that Bob's house was probably from here to the edge of the parking lot. Um, I'm talking about the cement behind the building. All right, less than half of a block, right? So Bob is telling this story to somebody one time. I let him tell his story. And when we were, we were together, Bob, I said, Bob, really? I said, your house is only a half a block from church. He said, I know, and it was way too far. <laughs> Yeah, because 50 below is cold, right? And uh, when you're cold, you want to get warm, right? It's a priority. So how many of you went out and started your car this week just to get it warm? All right, most of you guys didn't. Do, see, this is a Yankee thing. We go out and start our cars, right? We, don't, we leave a warm house, Michelle especially. She's not here now, poor thing. But she leaves a warm house to a warm car. And when she did not have to get out on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, she didn't leave the house, right? She's like, hey, can you go watch, take care of my chickens for me? I'm like, well, you can't take care of your chickens and go out in that, she says, you know, as if. But we've prioritized that, right? How about, how many of you guys, I know probably this doesn't relate to most of us. How many of you guys are rather interested in at least eating one meal a day? Yeah, at least one, right, Chet? Maybe, maybe, yeah. How many of you, if you don't eat at least three meals a day and have two snacks, are not in a good place? All right, yeah. We, we like to eat, right? You miss a meal, you notice it. Now think about this for a moment. How many of us maybe go a whole day and never really, never really pray? How many of us have gone a whole week before and never really had a meaningful conversation with God? Yeah. And some of us maybe could say, you know what, maybe we've gone longer. Do we really prioritize prayer? I think for the majority of us, that answer is probably not as much as we should. Jesus did prioritize prayer, and it was a part of, of, of everything that he did. As you read through the Gospels, you just see constantly Jesus is in this time of prayer. When things went wrong, Jesus was in prayer. And so when he finishes, back to Luke 11 and verse number one, when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. The John there is John the Baptist. John the Baptist had started ministry about six months previous to Jesus, and he had been a, he had been a kind of a, a, a pace setter, if you will, and had started in that six-month window that he had, he had started an awesome revival amongst God's people. And um, that's just a cool subject for another day. But in six months, he was bringing people from Jerusalem and, and prominent people from Jerusalem way out into the, Ju the Judean wilderness. I cannot say Judean. Um, way out into the wilderness to be baptized by John and to hear him preach. And it says that he turned the hearts of the fathers back to the children. He, he just created this, this huge movement. And one of the things that he had done was taught people how to pray. You think, well, doesn't everyone just know how to pray? John didn't think so. And Jesus' disciples agreed. They're like, Jesus, we want you to teach us how to pray. It was probably because they had watched him pray. And they were like, you know, if there's anyone in the world who knows how to pray, it's that guy. 
And just by this body language and the, the frequency that he went to God in prayer, they realized that this is something huge. I want to understand this more. Teach us how to pray. And I think that's a great thing. You might say, well, Jason, do we really need to be taught how to pray today? Maybe we do. Maybe we do because um, we aren't the kind of prayers that Jesus was. Now, before we jump into this lesson, let me just address something real quick, because if I read through this, a bunch of you are going to be like, wait a second, that's not how I heard it. Jesus actually preaches in the New Testament in two different places about about prayer. More famously, Jesus preaches in Matthew um, about prayer, and uh, in Matthew 5, it's right in the middle of the the, uh, Sermon on the Mount, right? And that's the, 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 the Lord's Prayer that most of us are familiar with. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. That particular text, that's the one we're fairly uh, familiar with. This is much later in the ministry of Jesus in, in, in Luke 11 here. And it's, it's not that the texts are not in agreement with one another. It's just that Jesus taught about prayer probably fairly often in two very different occasions. Um, he taught and used two different kinds of answers. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is in the, one of the most intense and one of the most, um, one of the most, I don't know what the word for it is. He's in the middle of a sermon. And so there's this very, very kind of well-developed prayer that he presents as a model prayer. But in Luke 11, this answer is in direct response to a question. Jesus, please teach us how to pray. We want to know how to pray like you pray. And Jesus said, well, if you want to know how to pray like I pray, then here, here's my formula, if you will. Here's my example. So he says, And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive anyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. What what you see happening here, and some of you are like, wait, wait, he missed all kind of stuff. (laughs) He missed missed a lot of the the flowery sort of language that we find in Matthew. But Jesus has reduced prayer down into really a a two-part concept right here. He said prayer has two kind of large chunks of things that we consider in prayer. Let's take a look at that this morning because, because I think this prayer probably reveals a fatal flawness in a lot a flaw in a lot of our prayers. Because a lot of times how we approach God in prayer is, is we, you know, we get down on our knees or we sit down with our family and we say, God, thank you for things that you've given to me today. Lord, this thing kind of worries me and God, I'm challenged by this thing and this attitude in my heart is, is really giving me grief and this person is really giving me grief and God, please help me with this and please, please assist with that and Lord, I need your guidance here, right? We're throwing all this stuff kind of out in these random thoughts and sometimes it's well articulated and sometimes we just kind of throw it out there. But Jesus Jesus says, no, when you pray, I want you to start that prayer very deliberately. This is consistent in both model prayers that we have, both the one in Matthew and the one here in Luke. Jesus starts off by focusing our attention not first on ourselves, but on God. He said, Father, hallowed be your name. That simply means great is your name. Jesus wanted the disciples to recognize that as you start this conversation with God, I want you to recognize that his name is great. 
And his name is great for so many reasons. Guys, that's such a healthy thing for us to start prayer with. When we remember that, that our God's name is great because when he could have just scrapped the entirety of, of, of the entire process of, of creation, he said, no, no, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preserve. I'm going to work with my people. Even though they've failed and they've sinned, I'm still going to love them. Our God is great because he patiently worked with generations of Old Testament characters, leading them deliberately to the very point in, in, in human history where it was the best for Jesus to come into the world. Our God is great because he didn't just love us enough to save us, but he loved us enough to send his son to be our atoning sacrifice, to be our savior, to allow Jesus to come into this world, (laughs) to be born like one of us, to grow up like one of us, to spend the majority, 90% of his life, just like one of us. But our God's name is great because he didn't just send Jesus to be here and to die for us and to give us a hope of forgiveness for sin. But he said, I want my spirit to to dwell with you. I want to become a part of your everyday life. So Jesus went back to heaven, and the Holy Spirit descended. Our God's name is great because he has done great things personally for us. That's not even to mention the fact that God is just great in his essence, right? That he is just good in his being and that his power is endless. That's not even to mention all those things. Jesus said, when you start to pray, I want you to remember who you're addressing, which is really, really important. Imagine if, if today we, we had an audience with the President of the United States. You may like or dislike the President of the United States, but you would address that person in a particular way because the office requires that, right? You would you would probably dress as good as you could dress and you would you would try to try to talk as as sophisticated as possible, right? Because you are talking to somebody who holds a powerful office. And Jesus said, when you start prayer, recognize that you're talking to the most powerful office. And then he says something else. He said, your kingdom come. Jesus wanted us, as we began a prayer, to recognize that God's work in this world is the priority. In a few moments, McKay is going to lead our hearts in the Lord's Supper meditation, and he's going to use a, a verse that reminds us that our daily job is to put aside self and to elevate God. And, and so, in the beginning of this prayer, Jesus said, remember, God's name is great, but also remember that God's purpose is bigger than my purpose. That God's plans are bigger than our plans. Jesus modeled this in the garden when he's praying to God and he says, God, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, yours be done, right? Jesus is literally doing what he's talking about right here in this model prayer where he says, your kingdom come. Your will is that thing that should be done in the world as he says in Matthew. And in this text, he just keeps it simple. He said, your kingdom come. So, so your name is great, and your purposes are more important than my purposes. So the first section of this prayer, if you will, in the two-part section, the first section of this prayer is, is, is that we, we think about God first. But then we move down and we begin to think about, well, our own needs, right? And then we approach God because we need things. And guys, we have a Father that, that wants, to, wants to hear those things. Notice the very first word in this text is Father, right? Father, not Oh, great God that is not approachable. No, that's not the language that's used there. Jesus said, call him Father, but recognize he's a great Father. He wants to hear what we need. And so then Jesus goes on to tell us those things. Um, he, he says, 
Ask God for our daily needs, our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Let's take a look at those three things really quickly. The first one is he says, give us this day our daily bread. Provide our daily needs. Now guys, God knows we need those things. But God wants to hear from us. Not because he's on some kind of ego trip, right? Where he's like, I, you ask me and I give you. That's not the idea at all. What God wants us to understand is, is that without him, well, without him we, we are nothing, right? Without him we don't have the strength to get up in the morning and go do our daily business. Without him we don't have food on our pantry shelves or jobs that we have to provide for the needs of our family. He wants us to recognize that because of his care, because of his love, because of his working in our life, we, our physical needs are provided. Yeah, we're going to go to work. And yeah, we're going to maybe uh, bring in some money. And maybe, maybe we have a pantry that's full because we invest our money in things that have purpose and meaning. I understand all that. But outside of that, the bigger picture is, is all that comes from God at some point, right? Even if someone else gives you something, God bless them and be able to do that. And so he says, remember that you ask God for the things you have. Give us this day our daily bread, the things that we need, but understand that well, understand that those things come from God. The second thing he says is to forgive us of our sins. We need forgiveness. I do, you do. But here is this Bible theme that we see played out over and over and over again. And I mention it every time because I think for a lot of us, this is hard. Jesus said, forgive our sins. And he's abbreviating all of this, right? He's making this very simple for this disciple who asked, which is good for me and good for you. The flowery language got chopped. <laughs> it's just the basic core principles here. But he ex- decides to expound on one thing, and the one thing is forgiveness. He says, forgive me of my sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us. I think Jesus chose to mention that tag because he knows just how hard that is. In the New Testament, there is no forgiveness from an unforgiving person. You are not forgiven by God if you aren't willing to forgive your fellow man. And Jesus doesn't ask us, well, if it reaches this certain level of hurt or if, 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 there, if it was this difficult, then you're exempt from forgiveness. That's not the case. Jesus said we are to forgive if we want to be forgiven. So if you're in church today and you're harboring unforgiveness, which I've done before in the past in my heart, you are in a very dangerous place. Because God can't forgive you until you are willing to forgive that other person. And understand that's a process. And understand you might not be perfect at that today. You might not nail that first time. In fact, if you're like most of us, you're going to work toward that. But God knows that. That needs to be something we constantly look at in our lives. Am I holding bitterness? Because you know what? Satan is crafty. If he can find bitterness, he can find a way into your heart. And he's done it hundreds and thousands of times in the past and don't think that he can't do it to you because he can. And then the last thing that Jesus mentions is lead us not into temptation. And what's remarkable about this is that, not that it's difficult to understand, but why don't we pray this? As I was looking at this text, I realized, you know, very seldom do I ever hear anyone pray this final part in the model prayer. It's in both of the model prayers. Why don't we pray, lead me not into temptation? We thank God for things. We even acknowledge that God's name is great. 
We ask God for things. Every other part of those prayers we, we include, but almost never do we, do we go to God and say, God, lead me not to temptation. Jesus put this in both model prayers because I think Jesus realized just how important this really is. You remember in the life of Peter, Peter was very, very certain that he was never going to leave Jesus and, and that his allegiance to Jesus was unshakable. You remember that right before Jesus went to the cross? And Jesus is trying to not discourage Peter, but kind of give Peter a reality check. And he said, Peter, you're going to fail and you're going to fail spectacularly. In fact, he says this phrase, Satan desires to, to uh, oh goodness gracious, thrash you as wheat, to sift you as wheat, Right? And what Jesus was talking about here was this whole process of threshing grain, right? And what he was saying is, and if you know anything about that, they would get like a clump of, of wheat, which is kind of a grass, you know, the little the kernels are on top of that, but it's in a husk. And today we have mechanized equipment that take that off. But in those days, they would bring that onto something called a threshing floor, a big smooth stone. And there would be guys that would sit there with long sticks that are tied onto a little bit shorter chunk of wood. And, and they, would, they would take this long stick and they would kind of, I don't know, what's the correct, thwack it. I think thwacking is the correct, correct word right there. They would thwack the, uh, the grain and it would literally just pulverize it, just beat it until the husk broke loose and the germ, which is what we eat and make bread out of, would be broken loose. Then they would take a big wide broom and they would go, and they would pull the, the straw aside and all the chaff would blow away, right? And you'd be left with the, the nugget of goodness, the, the nutritional part of the germ of wheat, Right? And Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, what Satan wants to do is literally beat the stuffing out of you. Satan wants to grind you into, a, into the ground. That's exactly the metaphor that he was trying to paint for Peter. And guys, I think Satan wants to grind every one of us into the ground as well. Why would we not pray this final prayer? We wouldn't want to pray. We should be praying this as parents for our children every day. God, lead my kids away from temptation. Students, you guys should be praying this for yourselves and for your fellow classmates and people in your youth group. God, lead my friends away from temptation. They're real. We should be praying this for our spouses. Father, lead my husband or my wife out of temptation. Lead my grandkids out of temptation. This should be one of the biggest prayer requests that we have right here. Maybe this just points out that we're not sometimes as spiritual as we want to be or we think we are. But Jesus said, when you pray, pray about these things. Pray that we won't be led into temptation. How many times have we been spared that a full assault of, of the devil, just because the Lord knows in our weakness, Jason can't handle this. I'm gonna step in. Jesus said, why don't you acknowledge that I'm working on your behalf? Pray that you will not be led into temptation. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that if Satan were allowed to, he could bring into each of our lives temptation that would overwhelm even the strongest of us. But God in his mercy prevents that from happening. We need to be, we need to be uh, serious in prayer for the people around us and for the church in America and locally here at Forest Park that were led away from temptation. Then Jesus continues in verse number five. He said, and this is almost unsolicited. So the guy just says, hey, I, I wanna know how to pray. How do you pray like you do, Jesus? And Jesus tells him a very simple formula. Acknowledge God's greatness. Acknowledge that God's work is more important than our own. Ask God for the things that you need in life. Ask God to forgive you of your sins, but remember, you must forgive your sins. Also ask God to keep you away from spiritual attack and temptation. And then he, he continues just on his own. 
In verse number five, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me, the, the door is now shut, my children are with me in bed, I, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you though, he will get up and give him anything, not because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or stubbornness or determination, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So almost as an afterthought, Jesus says, hey, imagine you, you had a friend next door, we'll call him Rob, right? And, and, and you're, you're, you and Rob are good friends. You're the kind of people that like share sugar back and forth, you know, when you're, when you're out. Your kids play together in the street every day. You know Rob well. And you're, you're in your house one night and here a, a friend of yours comes. And they, they didn't have cell phones in those days, so he just shows up at midnight, right? Kind of rolls into the house. Man, can I crash here tonight? Sure. When was the last time you ate? Yesterday. Oh, man, I got to give you something to eat. Can't send somebody to bed on an empty stomach, right? So, so you go out to Rob's house, knock on the door. Hey, Rob, Rob, did you go to the store? Because I, I need some bread. I need three loaves of bread for my, my buddy and his family to just, just come in. Rob's in his house, it's midnight, right? He's like, go away, Jason, <laughs> it's midnight, and my family is all down all over the floor. And in those days, most of their average houses were somewhere between a 12 by 12 and a 14 by 14 house. We're talking small right here, okay? And, and so this is some big old house right here, and they would sleep on the floors. They would get these little pallets out and lay them on the floor. So you can imagine this, you're a dad, right? You finally got the little baby to sleep. Everyone's quiet, it's midnight, right? The dog, three blocks away, finally quit barking. And, um, and then your neighbor's at the door, hey, hey, Rob, I need some bread. Rob's like, go away. I'm not going to trip over the kids and knock over stuff in the kitchen just to get you bread. Come back in the morning. But Jesus said, it's not because he's a friend that he's going to go get him bread. It's because Rob is just going to, or Jason's going to stay at the door, pounding on Rob's door. Rob, Rob, open up, open up. That he's eventually going to get up He's going to knock everything over in the kitchen. He's going to shove three loaves of bread in a Walmart sack. He's going to trip over grandma and a little kid, shove them past or scoot the cat from around the door, shove it out the door and say, get out of here. He's not going to do that because he's my friend, but he will do that because I'm persistent. And Jesus said, we need to pray with persistence. It was almost just a, it was just a, an oh yeah, by the way, you want to know how to pray, but don't just learn how to pray well. Pray well often. Pray consistently with persistence. I think it's a common temptation of Satan to make us give up on prayer or reading of the scripture when it, when it no longer, well, when our enjoyment is no longer there. You know, there's times in life where it just feels right to pray, you know? There's just moments in life where you want to get into the Word of God and you want to study and you, you feel like this is what I should do. You go to a retreat. Say you go to a camp or you go out to NYR for some of you guys that have been there. You're up in the mountains, you know? That's one of my favorite favorite places to, to get up in the morning and pray. I'm not much of a morning person, but I can get up in NYR and you just go up on, on an overlook, not above, not maybe 200 yards above our camp. You can see over the whole valley and it's just an awesome place to pray. That's a, that's a cool moment to pray, right? But there's, there's a lot of times where it's just not fun to pray and it's a lot of effort and you, you would think, man, I would rather do anything else in this moment than pray and I think that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. The less we read the Word of God, the less we pray, the less we desire to read the Word of God, the less we desire to pray. 
And maybe that's why Jesus continues like he does in verse number 9 of Luke 11. Because he adds this to the end of his story about, about Rob, the neighbor, right, giving bread at the middle of the night. And he says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive, and the one who seeks also finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus gives us really a three-step formula for how to, how to move forward in life. And it starts off with prayer, with asking. He said, ask, and it will be given to you. And that's something I think that we're pretty, we're pretty comfortable with. You noticed in the, in the model prayer that he just delivered, he said, ask God for help with things. Ask God for your daily bread. Ask God for, for, uh, for help with forgiveness because we all need it. Ask God uh, to uh, protect you from temptation, right? So, so that's the first step. But Jesus reminds us that we don't just stop with asking. He said, you don't just ask God to provide for your daily bread and then sit back in the recliner and wait for for uh, the food truck to roll up out front of the house, right? He's, the, the next thing Jesus said is to seek. And that means simply that we begin to look with eyes of faith and ask ourselves, where, where's this help gonna come from? Let's suppose that, suppose that we, we don't have enough money to cover our bills this month, right? That may be something that most of us can at least identify with um, at some point in life. So we, we have this many bills and we have this much money. And, and so we go to God and we say, God, help me to provide for, for the needs of my family. But we don't just go and sit on the recliner and wait for Publishers Clearinghouse to show up and say, you've won, right? Because the chance of that happening is almost nil. So we go out and we begin to look for opportunities. Where's maybe a, a place that I can get a job? Or where's something that I can, what's something I can maybe sell to provide for my family? Or, 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 or man, can I, can I negotiate with the people that I need goods and services from to provide that for an, in another way? We, we go out and we begin to look. We begin to seek and, and, and when it comes to things like forgiveness, for instance, Jesus said, ask for forgiveness, but then you also have to do something, and that's a part of faith. James said, faith without works is dead. You don't just believe that God is going to do something and then sit back and wait for it to happen. You begin to look for God's working in the world. But then Jesus takes that a step farther. So he says, we ask, you shall receive, seek, and you're going to find it. You're going to see it. But here's the one that's really important. Knock, and the door will be open to you. What I really need that middle of the night is not to ask Rob, because that's easily done through the door, but I still don't have bread. It's not even to seek Rob. It's not even to know that I need to get up and go over to Rob's house and stand outside of his door because Rob has bread to feed my guests, right? Um, I, I can seek that, and that's got me part of the way there. Certainly, if I never ask, I'm not going to get it. If I don't seek it, I'm never going to get it, but I still don't have bread in my hand. Jesus said, Knock, and the door will be open to you. Knocking is when we, when we step out on faith and we take, we take some risk. When we ask, we ask in faith, yes. And when we seek, we certainly seek in faith. But when we knock, we step out and we take risk. We pursue an opportunity. If we believe that God is in that, we, we ask him to close that door if it's not for us, but we're ready to step through that and to do what it is that God wants us to do. And Jesus then finishes by reminding us that God is a trustworthy God, that God is not gonna let us step out into, a, into, into something where it destroys us. And I think this is really super important. Jesus, maybe, maybe the disciple that asked Jesus, teach us to pray, didn't realize that all this was so important, but Jesus did. 
He said, okay, here's how to pray, but, but you need to be persistent in prayer. This needs to be something you do over and over and over again. This needs to become a habit, a ritual, a personal way of life. But recognize that you can trust the one that you're praying to. Notice how he finishes in verse number 11. He said, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who asked him? Jesus said, when you pray, pray with passion. Pray like there's a real relationship there. Pray with purpose. Pray with energy, right? I think that's the thing that attracted the disciple originally to Jesus. I don't know, I wasn't there, but, but I just have to think that he was watching Jesus pray and he realized that this wasn't just like a prayer that he had seen elsewhere where someone just mumbling words or going through some, some ritual that they feel like they're supposed to do, right? That, that this, was, this was real. <laughs> this, was, this was urgent for Jesus. This was heartfelt because there was a relationship behind this conversation. This wasn't some kind of religious act of obligation for Jesus. This was a conversation with Jesus. When he was perplexed, he, he went to God and he prayed about it. When he would find himself just stressed out and hard worked, we find him praying. Uh, when he was hungry for fellowship and he just needed a connection, he would, he would find that with the Father in prayer. When he was tempted in, in many different times, we find Jesus praying about that temptation as well as quoting Scripture back to Satan. Um, when he was criticized, he was praying about that. When he was absolutely exhausted and fatigued both physically and spiritually, he would go out in the middle of the night and find solace and time to just spend with God in prayer. There was something behind Jesus' prayer life. It wasn't just something he was supposed to do. He prayed with passion. And we see that countless times throughout the Bible. At his baptism in, in, John, or in, um, in Luke 3, Jesus prayed the heavens were opened. Right? In a passage just previous to this in Luke 9, Jesus is praying with the disciples and the transfiguration happens. Um, uh, he, he prayed all night before he called the disciples in, uh, in Luke, the sixth chapter. In John 17, there's a high priestly prayer. We sometimes refer to it. Jesus is praying for, for himself, but he also prays for us. And, and you read through that text, and you can just feel the energy and the sincerity in what Jesus is saying right there. Jesus said, hey, if, if an earthly dad, if an earthly father knows how to give kids what they need, your heavenly father is way better at this than they are. Now, sometimes, guys, God answers us and gives us what we need and not what we want, which is, which is sometimes kind of a problem, right? All of us kind of want certain things, and, uh, and we, we want those in the way we want them. Jesus didn't say that we would get everything we want, but he did say we would get what we need. There's nothing very exciting about a fish or an egg, but they'll provide in a, in a real and, and highly nutritious way for the physical needs of that little child that's asking. And God, Jesus said God is going to do the same Thing for us. As we close, guys, I want you to notice that Jesus uses yet another phrase there, though. He said, if you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly Father? The thing that makes prayer so powerful is that it's a relationship. And Jesus didn't say that God is just going to provide you with the things that you need. 
Notice what he said. How much more will the heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? Now, this, guys, is huge. Because we sometimes look at prayer and we're like, well, Jason, I don't really know what I should pray for. Sometimes I don't know how to pray. I mean, is this the right answer or is this the right answer? Sometimes I don't even know what to say. Is it just a feeling that I have that something's not right or there's this, there's this frustration within me that's just, that just kind of overwhelming me? I don't even know where to go with where I'm at right here. And Paul tells us that that's the job of the Holy Spirit. He said the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in prayer with groanings that words cannot express. God gave us his spirit to become one with us so that when we come to the Father, it's not like we're trying to figure out how to communicate with him. He already knows. He already knows what the right answer is, and he's going to provide that right answer. You don't have to be afraid of going to God and praying for something in God's will and God giving it to us and then it blowing up in our face. God's not going to do that for us unless there's a need for that, right? God, God gives us the things that we need. Jesus said if, if, if an earthly dad knows how to give his kids things that are going to build them up and strengthen them, not destroy them, what do you think God is going to do when we go to prayer with him? As we, as we close, I, I'll never forget one of my favorite Old Testament Bible stories is, is Solomon. You remember that? Solomon is this humble young man that's been given a kingdom. And it's, it, it, it's his father, David, is the most powerful and prominent king of, of all of God's people. He's known throughout the world. And Solomon does what he, the only thing he knows to do. He takes a sacrifice and he goes to the tabernacle and he offers it to God and and in a way, he's just standing there before God, completely overwhelmed with the burden that's been handed down on him. His father's kingdom is in disarray. Um, there's a feud over who gets the throne. It's obviously going to be his, but he's going to have to reunite these people. He's going to have to redesign or rebuild the economy of his nation. There are decisions to make. There are challenges that are huge. And Solomon is humble enough, but also smart enough that he recognizes, <laughs> I don't know what to do here. And so God appears to Solomon, which is a really amazing thing. And God says to Solomon, Solomon, what is the one thing that you want? Solomon could have said, I want to be wealthy. God would have given it to him. Solomon could have said, God, I want to have peace with all of my enemy nations and in my country. He would have peace. Solomon could have said, I want to be the most well-known king in this particular, in my particular era, and God would have allowed him to have those things. God said, what is it that you want? I will give it to you. Solomon answered back, and he said, God, give me wisdom. God, help me to see the world the way you do. And when, God, when Solomon was following God, he was an absolutely amazing leader. God said, I'm so happy with that answer. I'll give you everything else. See, God, God's a good father, and he knows exactly what we need. He said, I'm going to give you my spirit, and that spirit's going to walk with you. That spirit's going to live with you. That spirit's going to become one with your spirit. When your heart breaks, my spirit will understand that. When you're frustrated, my spirit understands where you're at. When you're sad or when you're happy, my spirit understands that. I know where you are. I'm walking right alongside of you. You may not be able to see me. You may not be able to reach in and feel me, but I am present with you. And when we pray, we talk to the one who's able to handle all things.
give us exactly what we need. Simple request. Jesus, teach us to pray. Jesus said, I'll teach you to pray. Remember that God is the greatest. Remember His work has priority. Remember that all things come from God. That we are absolutely dependent on Him for our forgiveness. Remember that He is fighting a spiritual battle for us and will protect us from temptation if we request for Him to. But be persistent. Don't just pray now and then forget to pray later, but make it a habit of everyday life and recognize that you have a good, good Father that knows what you need and will provide it exactly on time. Church, we have a beautiful opportunity to have a relationship with the one who made it all. Let's prioritize that. I want to challenge you today to make prayer a priority. If you don't have a time in your life, if you don't have a moment in your day where this is my prayer time, I want to challenge you to find that. Maybe it's sitting in the truck before you go in the house after work. Maybe it's early in the morning before the rest of the household gets up. Or maybe it's late at night. You shut off that TV, you shut the computer, you throw the phone on the charger, and you and God just spend some time together. Prioritize prayer because it will change things. And if there's ever been a time that this world and this country and the church needs prayer, it's now. Not just from one of us or two of us, but from all of us together. Church, if you have a need today, you know you can come. Maybe some of you are like, you know what, Jason, I, I really have never started that journey. I, I need to be baptized into Christ. I, I want to I have that spirit as a part of my life. Today's a great day to make that decision. Maybe some of you just want to say, you know what, I need to come forward and just ask the church to pray with me and pray for me. We're happy to do that. If you need to visit with somebody, you know that we're here. Let's stand together and sing. And after we do so, McKay is going to come and prepare our hearts for Lord's Supper. Thank you.